Hello, and welcome to Dungeon Talk, the general advice and discussion podcast from D&D Academy. I am Michael, and this is Dungeon Talk episode number 45, Yes and Now What? So we've tackled improv once before, not too long ago. We had a guest, uh, Matthew Parody, on the show, and we talked about improv and a couple different techniques, but we really focused that conversation on the player side. And we received an email from a listener named John who had some specific questions about as the DM or the GM, as you're improving and riffing, if you kind of get yourself into a corner, how do you get out of it or, or how do you transition back or how do you kind of wrap back around and make everything you just sort of made up seem like it was all part of the plan to begin with. So that's mostly what Caleb and I talk about in this episode. We do kind of bring it back around to talk about the recent Fae game that we got to play in, uh, which I'm very excited about. One, because it's a lot of fun, and two, that means there'll be some more Fae Deadlands uh, episodes coming out pretty soon as well. So um, hopefully this episode will answer most of John's questions, and maybe some of yours as well. A couple other things I wanted to mention, that we got not one, not two, but three five-star reviews on iTunes over the last couple weeks. Uh, So I'm very excited to be able to read those to you, And hopefully you guys will agree with what was said, or maybe you'll be inspired to write your own to give us your version. So our first one comes from Cowboy Centaur. Uh, Full disclosure, uh, Cowboy Centaur has been a Twitter follower of mine for a while, and he and I have had quite a few interesting discussions. And uh, so I kind of consider him a friend of the show. So that might have clouded his opinion a little bit. So he titled his review, Very Informative and Entertaining. He goes on to write, Great podcast with entertaining real play formats and a well thought out discussion format put out twice weekly. Covers a wide variety of systems and genres. I never miss it. So thank you very much, Cowboy Centaur, for that review. I really appreciate it. We are not actually doing two episodes a week right now, at least not regularly. We were for a while. Now we're down to one a week and every now and then I throw in a bonus episode, but everything else is still applicable. I would also suggest, if anyone's listening to this, uh, to give uh, to look up Cowboy Centaur on Twitter. He does some amazing things uh, with terrain and minis that he makes for himself and for his game. He runs a game uh, with his children. And from what he describes on Twitter, it's amazing and very imaginative and, and just a blast. And I actually would like for him at some point to write a, an article that we could post on our site about some of those terrains and and minis that he makes. So maybe you guys could uh, throw him a message and tell him he needs to do it pretty quick. So our second review comes from DM underscore R Roughneck. So their title is Great Resource. They go on to write, I added this podcast around 10 episodes ago. I really enjoy the discussions regarding developing the game. The information doesn't just come from D&D material only, but a variety of other gaming sources such as Magic the Gathering and 13th Age to name a few. The campaign portion also provides an example of how a game is conducted and is very entertaining. Good work, and please keep the podcast coming. Uh, We're going to do our best to do that. Thank you so much for taking the time to write in a review. And our third five-star review on iTunes from the past couple weeks was by Ricardo Blake. The title is So Helpful and Informative. And Ricardo goes on to write, As a GM, I appreciate all the tidbits that I can take away and use to help my games. Stuff I've never thought of. It's like having access to expert-level game support on a weekly basis. As a fellow podcaster, I appreciate how they keep the shows fun and informative. Love it. Keep at it. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Thank you so much, DM Roughneck and Cowboy Centaur, for taking the time to write the reviews. We're going to do our best to continue the quality, 
that has led you guys to, uh, to take the time to do that. Anyone else out there, if you agree or disagree with those reviews, we'd like to hear from you as well. Okay, so on to the show. So here is Dungeon Talk episode number 45. Yes and, now what? Good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you. We have had a super busy week doing this show. It has. I, my wife actually gave me a little bit of grief. Um, so did mine. Uh, just because this week, I think I this is the fourth time we've been recording this week. Well, if a new week starts on Sunday, this is the first. Ah, okay. Well, my, my work week goes Monday through Sunday, so that's kind of how oh. I plan my days. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, we played a game on Tuesday. We did a podcast on Wednesday, we played a different game on Thursday, and now we're recording Sunday morning. This is also our first Sunday morning episode, as far as I know. We've done Sunday night a couple of times, but uh, I think this is Sunday morning is a first for us, so we'll hopefully our energy level will be a little higher than maybe some of those night episodes when I'm really tired, because <laughs> I'm old. We do tend to get a little punch drunk when we're recording till midnight, so yeah. this will probably be good. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Let's don't, let's don't, <laughs> let's don't oversell it. Um <laughs> So we have a couple different topics that we're going to cover today that may wrap together fairly nicely. And primarily we're going to address an email that we received from a listener named John. And um, he had a couple different things he wanted to touch on. Cale, will you lay those out for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, John contacted us. Uh, he had um, two big areas he wanted to get some advice on. Um, the first was about improving or ad-libbing from the GM standpoint. And in the past, we've talked about uh, improving as a player. We've had Matthew on um, to share some ideas about that. But John wanted to talk about, as a new DM, how to get into the feel of ad-libbing and kind of riffing along with your players as they are interacting with you. He also had a second question about how might be best to keep your notes organized as a GM. He specifically mentioned he keeps just a lot on uh, a raw Google Drive document so he can access it anywhere, but just like any of us who are in this creative work, we all have tons of notebooks and note cards and post-its and we tend to get overwhelmed in a sea of scrap paper. So. He was asking how might be best to keep that information handy uh, so that he can very quickly find his important notes about what an NPC was doing or uh, the qualities of a specific item or something specific about a, a dungeon that a player might have a quick question for and he doesn't want to have to sort through all of his notes to find it. So he's asking general organization help or advice. As it so happens... We very recently did a podcast specifically on that topic with Liz Tice from Lone Wolf Development. You probably know them best from Hero Lab. They have a new campaign management program out called Realm Works. Uh, this podcast will actually come out after that one, so you may have already listened to it. 
But that's basically what that program does, is it keeps your campaign notes organized and at your fingertips. Now, it, it, there is a cost associated with that one, and there's some others that have a cheaper cost or no cost. I know uh, Roll20 does that a little bit. I believe uh, Tavern Keeper does. I know that there's um, Obsidian Portal is out there as one of those. And then obviously there's a lot of sites that you can do your own free wink wiki links type of thing or just even Facebook email. So there are ways to do it without a cost. But you and I were both pretty impressed with Realmworks and what it can do. And I've recently found that there are some YouTube videos available, not necessarily of actual play yet, which is something we asked Liz about. But there are some instructional videos where someone will go through and say, hey, this is how I'm, you know, so this is how you set up a plot point. Here's how you storyboard. Here's how you connect things. Uh, so, John, if that is something that you are still not necessarily struggling with, but you would like to do better, I would definitely suggest you check that out. If uh, the cost isn't prohibitive and you're not a Mac user, because we're kind of screwed on that right now, go for it. And if not, check out some of the other, uh, other available programs, again, that have a little bit lower entry cost. But the rest of the show, for the most part, we're going to talk about his other question. And there were a couple different parts to it, from what I understand. One was the improv, and the other was uh, kind of blending in when a player improvs or use the GM improv back, and maybe you say something you didn't mean to say, or you throw out a clue that wasn't actually supposed to be a clue, how you just quickly incorporate that back into your story to make it seem like it's pretty seamless, even though in your head you might be going, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. And then if we have time, there is a, uh, we, Caleb and I got to play in a game this week with Porter, our Fey game, which we were super excited about. It was a lot of fun. But there was a couple moments in that game where I think all three of us as players kind of knew where we were heading. And we want to talk a little bit about how that would work from the player side that we kind of knew what the secret twist was going to be, but we stayed with the game. We didn't break it. We didn't uh, ruin it. And then the, the GM ported it a great job of sticking to his guns, you know, Deadlands, pew, pew, uh, <laughs> and then just keeping us on track. And I thought it turned out very well. So I'll start with you, Caleb. As a GM DM, if you and I are playing together and you and I kind of start riffing and you suddenly find yourself that you have riffed, improved yourself to a cliff edge, how do you seamlessly build a bridge there so that your story continues without any hiccups? Goddamn, that was a good metaphor, by the way. That was a great metaphor. I, I feel really lousy trying to follow that up because I don't think it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> From my point of view... When you are, when you got yourself to a point where you kind of do, either don't know what to do next, or you worked yourself into a corner, a lot of times you need to just buy yourself a couple minutes to think. And on one hand, there's nothing wrong with just saying, "Hey, give me a second to plan this out," but it does interrupt the flow of the game, and it takes you out of that great gaming moment. And if we are in the middle of a great game and everyone's just right in the moment and really enjoying that pacing, you don't want to take a step away and, and break that. You want to keep everyone excited. Uh, a lot of times what I've done is pushed it back to the players for a second. You know, I've had them, I've asked them to describe something or I've told them, okay, while this is happening over here, this is also happening over there, so tell me a little bit about that. So, and sometimes I just use that to think on my feet real quick. 
not ignoring what they're saying, but only half listening while I either scramble in the book to find something or page through my notes or just figure something out. Um, but sometimes I will just quickly pull exactly from what they're saying or alter it a little bit and just put that right there. I mean, let's say as a weird example, you were, you know, you're chasing, um, you're in a town and you're chasing a bunch of thieves and you guys are talking about how you're running through the alleys and doing all these acrobatic maneuvers and stuff and all of a sudden you realize you you don't really know where the thieves went. You don't want to have a fight yet, but you don't know how they're going to get away. Well, you might real quick just simply say, the thieves disappeared. What do you guys do? And from what the PCs are saying, what the players are saying, you might get a really good idea, or you might just buy yourself some time to you know fiddle around and make some rolls or draw a quick little map about another room that they went into. Maybe one of your players would say, oh, well, I'm going to check for secret doors, and all of a sudden you can say, oh, yeah, maybe there's a secret passage right here, and I real quick just map it out and throw a DC on it that they could possibly find. Yeah, I, I want to jump in there because I think you're exactly right. I, I have four techniques that I kind of jotted down some notes on, and you and I are definitely on the same page for the first one, and that's take a timeout. If someone really throws you for a loop, I think, especially if you're like a story-heavy DM like I am, I don't want the story to break, so if I have to, I'll just kind of lean back and be like, okay, I need five minutes. Or you can say, like, hey, I need a bathroom break. Everybody take a smoke break. Uh, you know, if you don't want them to know that you, you know, if you have a group where if the players know they got you, that might be a thing. You just want to be like, okay, I need a quick bathroom break. Hold on. And you run upstairs, and while you're doing your business, you're you're thinking furiously on how you're going to work that in there. Uh, don't overuse that one, or your players may think you have a crack habit. <laughs> But absolutely, it's okay to say, I need five minutes here. As I said before, we are, as a group, we are improv writing the first draft of a novel. There are going to be inconsistencies at time, and no one that I'm aware of, myself included, can do it seamlessly every time. Sometimes players just do things that are absolutely off the wall. As, a, as an example, in one of the more recent A New World games, there was a moment where Blaine, uh, Evan's character, decided to basically pull his dick out and show it to somebody as a joke. And, and uh, again, no idea this was coming. I had no idea. And I think to John's point, because he mentioned in the email specifically about the, uh, the Made Men games and the New World games, and, and one thing I want to say there is I do have the power of editing, and a lot of times I'll cut out the dull moments. So the time when Evan says, hey, you know, basically I want to shake my junk at the noble and try to make him laugh, I sat back for like five minutes like, okay, how, how would he react to this? And then in the podcast, I just cut that out so that it goes straight from, okay, I want to shake my dick at him to, okay, this is what happens. So I think that might be part of the illusion that I'm better at this than I actually am. So sorry, John, if I, you know, so showed you how the sausage was made, um, but I do think at the end of the day, I, I did a pretty good job of making that work and, and how it came to, and turned out. So the other side of that is don't over-prepare. And I think that goes to your point about the, the, the thieves getting away. If you have a detailed map of every building in an alleyway, every shop, every home, who lives there, what's going on, and you realize this isn't what was supposed to happen, you've got yourself to that cliff edge because the thieves shouldn't have been there, 
and now you need to make them disappear, you're either going to have to break knowledge and, you know, just change something on the fly, or you have to come up with a place for them to be. If you do a little less prepared and you know it's just like it's the merchant alley or it's the industrial alley, then your example works perfectly. They're gone. What do you do? Well, we search for secret doors. Oh, okay. I bet there is a secret door. Bam. Now there's a secret door that you didn't know existed two seconds before either. So I think taking that time out and then just listening to your players and asking questions is absolutely a great way to keep yourself from getting uh, improv into a corner. Exactly. And real quick there, what you said about not over-preparing is a huge, huge, very important point. Back when I was first learning to GM, I would over-prepare the hell out of my game. And I would have so many notes and facts, I was essentially just reading my sheet to the players. And while there's nothing wrong with that, sometimes you have to start somewhere. It really did limit my creative ability to run the game, and it limited the creative input from the players. You know, I remember plenty of times where uh, in my very first game that I ever ran, or the first couple, I very clearly said, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that because that's not what happens next. Again, there's a zillion different ways to play Dungeons & Dragons and or any RPG, and there's nothing wrong with that type of gameplay. And I think as starting brand new players and runners, we're probably going to do that. Once we've matured and evolved a little bit and learned how to roleplay, we're going to get away from that. And that's, I think, where we want to be. That's the sweet spot of playing a role-playing game in that we know the rules, we're comfortable with each other at the table, and it's less about strict preparation, and it's more about working with each other to cooperatively tell a story. Oh, I agree with you, and the way I would talk about that is I love um, the Game of Thrones books. I mean, I love those books. I've never read the, read the appendices or the index that comes with any of them. I love The Hobbit, and I love Lord of the Rings. Again, I've never led, read any of the appendices. I have not read the Similarion, or however you say that. So yes, there's a lot of backstory to those stories that I'm probably not familiar with, but that has not hurt my enjoyment of the actual story at all. And your players are very likely the same way. If you spend hours and hours and hours coming up with this very intricate, detailed backstory plotline of, of this war that happened over a thousand years, that's great, but your players are playing right now in the story. That's all backstory. Spend more time preparing for what's going to happen at your table that night, what your players are likely to do, than spending time working backwards. At least for me, my advice would be to spend less time on the backstory than on what you think is going to happen. So along with that, the last thing I'll add on, on taking a time out is do try to pre-plan a little bit. And this is something that you've experienced now as an actual player in one of my games. A couple of days after the game was over, I sent you an email. It's like, hey, how did the game go? What do you guys think you're going to do next? And that helps me go, okay, well, they're going to break into the museum or they're going to speak to the guards or they're going to stake out this place. That gives me ideas of the three or four areas that I need to try to prepare for rather than me trying to think about what you might do and prepare for that. So having an idea of where your players are going to go, at least from a starting line, will be very helpful. I 100% agree with that. 
in uh, in the game I ran for my friends two weeks ago, all I really brought to the table was what we were going to do that session in those couple of hours. And I had, in the back of my head, a rough idea of where the story could go and a couple elements or characters I will, I will probably have them run into, but I did not have a timeline to give them. Okay, you do this, you do that, you do this, here's what happens next. And when we had to wrap up the session just because it was the end of the day, you know, we sat there for a couple minutes and had a little in-person recap and, okay, did you guys like this? How would you think about that? Honestly, at that point, I kind of just sat back and listened to my players talk to each other, and I pulled a bunch of ideas just from what they were saying as they were uh, just recapping the game. Oh, that was so cool when we did that. Maybe this will happen like that next time. Or, hey, my character has a pretty big beef with your character about this thing. I wonder what's going to happen next kind of thing. Oh, yeah, your your players often will come up with a better story than you do. Just from the from a group think kind of standpoint, there's three, four, five of them. They're all riffing off each other, and and you know I do that all the time. I'll throw out an, a a clue that I don't know what it means, and then I'll see what they think it means, and then I'll make it mean that. And partly that also rewards them. Like they they feel like oh yeah I figured that out. It makes them feel cool. Makes them feel you know like smart for lack of a better word. And all I did was just take their idea and make it the truth. I think that's a great technique. It's a little bit off of what we're talking about specifically, but yeah, absolutely. I do that all the time um, where I'll just take what they say and, and make it true. And then the last point I'll make on that is that also lets you know what they thought was important. And that's something we talked briefly about with Liz on the last uh, Dungeon Talk about the journal part that they're going to try to do is that if you're, you know, your players are all sitting around and they talk about this one specific NPC that for you was a throwaway NPC. You just put them in there because you needed, you forgot to tell them how to get to the castle. So, of course, they had to meet a wandering minstrel on the road who sang a ballad about the castle and, you know, make it get a little flair. And they're like, oh, that guy must be important or that girl must be important. Okay, well, now she is or he is, you know, um, because they the things that they're excited about, you would be silly as a DM to not try to incorporate them because it is not your story. It's everyone's story. And, uh, you know, if that's their new favorite character, then they need to become more prominent in the story. All right, so the second technique that I have written down is retconning. So how do you feel about retconning? If you do get yourself to a cliff, there's no bridge there. You just have to jump off and parachute down. What do you think about retconning a situation where you did just screw up? I have two opinions. When it comes to comic books, I usually don't like retconning. But in a role-playing game... I think if you don't overuse it, and as long as you're careful about it, how you present it, it's okay. If you just completely change a fact arbitrarily without a good reason, it's probably not going to fly too well. If you're in a situation where the characters are investigating a murder, this is the easiest example, we've talked about this a couple times, and at the end of the session... The, the cleric comes out and says, the Baron was poisoned, and that's where you end on that cliffhanger. If you realize as you're prepping for the next game, oh, wait a minute, he wasn't really poisoned, he was stabbed to death because the, the guy that was the actual murderer I already made is this really cool NPC who has all these neat 
dagger fighting feats, and then you come back to the next game and say, all right, uh, the Baron was actually stabbed. Uh, the cleric was wrong. And then just go from there. That's abrupt. That's It's a little cheap in my mind. You can use it. You can play with it. But if there's no reason, retconning, it's a little bit... Uh, I don't want to say offensive to the players or insulting to the players, but it's not as clean a transition as it could be. If, however, you use that as a story element, then you've handed the players uh, a really great way to interact with the world, each other, and you've given them some good role-playing opportunity. So I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that, the, the last part. Okay, so let's run with the example. The Baron was killed, and in the last game, you had a cleric say that he was poisoned. Right. You come to the next session, and you have to retcon this and say he was really stabbed to death. Right. If we want to let this introduce some role-playing elements, you could you want to introduce the facts that you've changed in an interesting, organic way for your players to interact with. So you could say, well, all of a sudden, a different cleric runs in and says, no, 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 we just found all these stab wounds all over the body. What do you guys do next? And, you know, you let them react to this new information as opposed to just telling them new information. Okay. So I think the part that I was confused about is, is the way you're describing it, it was actually what I would consider a different technique. And that is one of the ones that I have down here. Yours is sort of border. Your example is kind of borderline. So I can kind of see the little bit of, of gray area there. Okay. So I'll step back with, I'll cover my retcon thing and then I'll explain. So for me, I'm not that opposed to retconning. Again, I just have that viewpoint that we're, we're improving the first draft of the novel. We're going to have screw-ups, and it's going to happen. So in your example, it, it's the last thing of a session where I say, and the, you know, the Baron was, was poisoned, and then between games, I think it makes a better story that he was stabbed, or I forgot that he should have been stabbed. Then I'm more likely at the beginning of the session just to say, hey, guys, just so you know, I did screw up last game. When I said he was poisoned, he actually was stabbed. And I'm fine with doing that before the game starts, just so everyone's on the same page. However, what I don't want to do is if the Baron is poisoned halfway through the game and they spend an hour researching poisons, investigating the body, conducting searches of NPCs, and and following all these poison-related leads, that I'm like, oh crap, he was supposed to be stabbed. I'm just improv and improv and improv and trying to keep in front of them and keep the story going. And then between sessions go, you know, he actually wasn't poisoned. He was stabbed. That's going to suck because they have wasted an entire hour of game time or longer. They have all these leads that they've tried to follow. And I basically just pulled the rug out from under them. So for me, I'm a lot more likely to say, oh, he was stabbed and poisoned if it happened at the very end or if there was really no follow up to that. And it could still be something that happened in the middle of the game. Where someone says, "Oh, that that guy, he's the third son of the noble," uh, you know, as he walks by, and I'm like, "Oh, wait, no, that's actually the bastard child of the noble." You know, minor story element, but it could make a difference in the story. Then I'll just retcon that. But yeah, if they pursue any sort of leads or or role play down a track because of that, then I'm not going to retcon. In that case, I'm going to go to the next technique, which is I I think what you were talking about, and that's where I just find a way to make it work. And often that I do that between sessions, and that's where I think, okay, so why did the cleric say he was poisoned if he was stabbed? 
and I will just spend hours thinking about that in my car on the treadmill or whatever. And until I find a good reason, it could be as simple as he's incompetent. Maybe he's a drunkard and it's just a, a, a little fluff NPC that they're going to go, okay, that's the cleric we don't want to work with. Or maybe there was a more sinister reason and that cleric was somewhat in on it or he thinks he knows who did it and he doesn't want that person to get in trouble. So he wants to throw the NPCs off the trail and that's why the other cleric has to come in and correct him. So that's what I would do in that situation is why does it make sense for there to be this uh, situation that is you know incongruous? It, it, they oppose each other. How can I make that work? And I, I, I'll admit, humility aside, I think that is something I am very good at, which is another reason why some of the podcasts may seem like I'm really good at, at other things because I can come back the next next session and go, well, remember when that happened? Here's why it happened. And it makes it seem like I planned it out from the beginning when I really didn't. Oh, yeah, that's definitely much more what I was talking about uh, in my example. To go back to your retconning there, what you were saying there kind of, again, throws back to what we said originally. If the players are investing in something or they're getting excited about something and you find that out during the game or in an email recap, you know, you want to reward them. If they invested a bunch of time in figuring something out, even if it goes against your plan, you know, play along with that. That's the improv from our side of the, the screen. You know, we might have a great idea, but it's not just our story. It's everyone's story. And if the players figured out this really cool thing or they think it's going a really cool way, play along. Just like we ask them to play along with our world and how we run the monsters and how the NPCs talk to them. It's, it's this two-way street, and I think that's really the core of what we're talking about to answer John's question here. We're keeping that a two-way path of communication between the players and whoever's running the game. To go back to this current topic of you know, just running with it and figuring out you know, the, the deeper motivations behind this possible difference of facts... I think that's a really cool way to figure out more about your world and your story. If, in this example, the cleric that told him he was poisoned but he was really stabbed is just a drunk, you know, you can you can play with that. You could you could leave him just a throwaway NPC, or you could play around with why he's a drunk. What's his story? Uh, how would that come up in the rest of the game? What's the impact? on the next time you talk to him. Is he embarrassed? Uh, does he try to cover it up? Does everyone know? Is, is he keeping it a secret? That might not have any impact on your overall plot and story, but it's nice flavor. It's... I hate to interrupt you, but I just had a great idea. Well, I think it's great. Um, depending on what your story you're kind of tell, that could throw in doubt other murders. You know, if the Baron is the, the fourth in a series of murders that's happened in this area... And now they have to go, well, you know, we've been told that we've had four people that were murdered in these various ways. That throws that into question. So they have been then may have to go do their own research and actually go dig up bodies and stuff. So, again, this kind of maybe flub of the brain turns into an interesting side quest that adds, as you said, a lot of depth to the story. Exactly. Exactly. And I, in my opinion, I think these moments that just organically happen off the cuff are some of the better moments in a role-playing game. 
there was, in, in, just to give a real-life example, in the game I ran, the PCs had been uh, attacked by goblins, and the goblins had, had kidnapped someone from the town, um, and he, the person he, uh, that they had kidnapped, there was, it was a dwarf, and there were two dwarves in our party. Well, the two dwarves were all about just murdering these goblins outright for revenge. Well, the party got split up, and the humans decided to interrogate the goblin and then let him go, but they, they tagged him in a way that they could follow him if they needed to. Well, when the dwarves came back, the dwarves were furious that they let this goblin go, and we had this really cool uh, organic role-playing conflict where the dwarves and the humans were <clears throat> at each other's throats. And some of the things that came up during that heated conversation actually bled into the backstory of the dwarves that my players were playing. Nothing they would have thought of or come up with if we would have sat down and written the entire backstory. But in the heat of the moment, they were, say, they were saying, well, when I was a kid, the goblins attacked and did this to my sister. And, and when I was this, this happened. And it was just that spur of the moment that gave us those really cool elements. So being able to do that just adds more life to the game. All right, so the last technique that I have is, I don't even know, I don't even know if it's a separate one. It, it kind of combines a couple of the others together. And what I wrote down was use it to your advantage. And what I would mean by this is sometimes you either don't have time or you can't think of a good way to make it make sense. You know, you've, you've been thinking about all week, why did that first cleric lie? Why did he say they were poisoned? Why did they say they were poisoned? And if you just aren't a fan of retconning, then you just, I would say keep the story going, and when the PCs go, okay, well, we want to inspect the body. Okay, when you inspect the body, you do see that there's some residue around the lips, but it could be wine. Further inspection shows that he was stabbed 17 times. And then they're going to go, wait, well, didn't the cleric say he was poisoned? I'm like, yeah, yes, he did. And then I'm just going to shut up, and I'm going to let the PCs start talking to each other, kind of like we mentioned before, and just listen and hope that they come up with a better solution than I would have or could have. And then again, I'll just kind of run with it. So I think really I had three techniques because I think that one kind of goes into the other. It's just more of a, a theme on how I would use it. So absolutely, if you if you just can't think of a way, then just throw it back, make it sound like it was part of the plot. Go, yeah, he did lie to you. I wonder why. And then just see what they do with it. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all know we're playing a game and we all know that there's a learning curve. So if you have to say, hey, wait a minute, guys, i got to figure this out, your player shouldn't fault you for that. Just like you don't fault them for not knowing every little bit about their character or how a spell works or a feat works. You know, there's that give and take there. But on the opposite side of that coin, there's nothing wrong with, even if you don't know what's happening, popping that big GM smile and just stopping your sentence and making them figure it out. They're going to think that you have this grandiose plan and you're just not giving them the info and, and they're going to try to figure it out themselves. Your job in that case is not to react when they come up with a cool idea that you want to use. Just let them keep going and then play it out like that was your plan all along. Okay, so as a sort of way to recap that, I, I want to say that I have three techniques that I would suggest. The first one is take a timeout. 
And then 1A would be to throw it back to your PCs. And I, I mean PCs, not players. So you, you make it seem like you meant to make the mistake or that it wasn't a mistake and see how they react to it and see if you can take something from their in-game discussion that, that turns out to be right, whether it's a secret door that you didn't really plan for or a cleric who's terrible at his job. The second one is retconning. Though I do advise, I think it's easier to retcon things that happen at the very end of the game rather than things in the middle of the game. And I would not retcon something that the PCs spend a lot of, or players spend a lot of time thinking on or acting on because then they are going to feel cheated. But if it's a, a detail like a P, NPC's name, because I'm terrible at that, then I don't, I think they're very forgiving on those sorts of things. And then the last one, which is the one that I do myself a lot, is I just figure it out. If I realize after the game is like, oh yeah, I didn't do that, or I, I forgot this detail, or I forgot to tell them this, or whatever, then I'll just spend my prep time over the next game or two, or, or you know, a week or two between games, and I'll find a way to make it make sense. Why was that left out? Why didn't anyone know this? Why did that person say that? Or why did they lie to this person? And often it makes a better story because, uh, you know, we said when you give yourself restrictions, sometimes it helps the creative juices. And at that point, I'm very restricted because I have an NPC that told them X and Y, but they didn't tell them Z. So what is it about that particular piece of information that they were hesitant or they lied about? And usually I can come up with a pretty interesting way. And then the, then the last thing I will say, actually, I think may, may have been my original fourth technique, is ignore it because there's a good chance your PCs haven't picked up on it anyways. You know, <laughs> I, Very rarely are you going to get to the big bad boss guy and he pulls out his scepter of, of omens, and the guy's like, oh, wait, isn't he supposed to be left-handed because of that one dwarf that was stabbed in the alleyway three years ago? Probably not going to be picking up on those little types of details, and it may not even matter. I agree 100%. That's a good summary, a good wrap-up, and uh, those are some really good uh, methods that we can try to use when we're running a game. Well, John, I hope that answered your questions. I know we did email you back uh, because I didn't know how long it would take to get to this uh, topic. So if you do have any additional questions or would like some clarification, then please do not hesitate to let us know. We love the comments. We love the feedback. And questions certainly help us keep up with show topics and keep the show fresh. So what I want to transition into now is we're going to stick to the improv theme and talk a little bit about um, how to inspire improv. And we touched on this topic before, as you mentioned, we had Matthew Parody on the show several episodes back now. Uh, Matthew has an improv background, and he was talking about some of the techniques. The most notable is yes and. I think most people have heard of it. I don't know that most people understand what it really means. But hopefully if you listen to our show, you have a better understanding. But what I wanted to talk about specifically is our, our most recent game. We just started play this week, 13th Age. I tried to set it up in a way that I really wanted to encourage improv off the bat because I wanted you guys to feel comfortable and I wanted to make sure that I was comfortable as well with you guys doing that. In particular we also had Matthew Parody. He's now one of the players in that game and I know he has that improv background so I just wanted to kind of set the tone right off the bat. And the way that I, I did that is I started off by putting you guys in peril. So it, you started off the game captured which can be a, a tricky technique to use. I think with, with the three players I have, you guys went with it without a lot of questions. I could see some groups saying, you know, that's bull crap. I'd never let myself be captured. I would have died first. You know, I, I refuse to say that I started with my weapon taken because, you know, I'm a, I'm a dwarf and that sword's my great, great, great grandfather's and blah, blah, blah. 
So if you have a group that would not go for that, then just don't do it. I thought this group, it would work. And what I was trying to do is sort of set it up almost like a teaser of a TV show. I start off with the sting. You guys are captured by the lizard men and you're in, you're in front of the lizard man King. And then we went backwards to try to figure out how you got there. But the specific thing that I did that was improv like is I would ask player B what player A said or did to get you there. And when they answered, then I'd say, okay, you two role play it out. So player A now had to follow the rules set up by player B and said, well, he offered me a thousand gold pieces. Okay, well, player A, have a conversation with player B and somewhere in there you have to offer him money to make him go. That's not specifically what happened, but that's the general th thought process. So you actually got to play in that. So what did you think about that technique? How did it work? What did you like? What, what didn't you like about it? I really liked it. Uh, it was definitely a, a unique way to start the game. I didn't expect you to do that. So it caught me a little by surprise. And I think at any time when uh, we can be surprised when we're in a game is a good thing. So uh, you didn't knock me on my ass. It's not like I didn't know what to do or how to react. But you definitely made me think very quickly on my feet, not just how to answer your question, but how uh, we would have acted in that certain situation. I think uh, in the one that I did um, with uh, Scott's character, if I remember correctly, it was nothing more than... We were in a tavern, and I said, hey, this is going on. You'll probably like it. You want to come with me? And he said, sure. But in that moment, you know, it, it made me think about just how my, my guy would have approached someone he worked with in the past and wanted to convince him to join this little adventure. Nothing major that impacted my character. No huge changes. No huge plot development. I, it just made me think about how my character would have reacted or acted in a day-to-day -day average situation. Um, and sometimes that normal interaction is more important to learning how to role-play your character than a huge, massive plot twist. Your your sister was killed, but then she's really the queen of something else, and, and you're the blah, 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 blah. All that crazy stuff is fun, but that doesn't always help you. Well, how would you interact with the shopkeeper? How would you interact with your friend at the tavern next door? That's important, too. No, I agree. And we haven't touched on this in a very long time, but one of the first, I guess, articles or, or pieces that we put on the website was a character template that I put together. I cribbed it from a bunch of other ones, so I'm not taking any credit for it. I pretty much went through a dozen other ones and stole all the questions I liked. And it's like a five or six page character template and it asks you all kinds of questions about do you have any family left alive? Who are they? Who's your favorite sibling? You know, are you religious or not? And, you know, all these types of questions. And those are things that a lot of times players, in my experience, don't think about. They think about what weapon do I use? Uh, you know, am I a quippy Spider-Man type guy when I'm fighting? Or am I grim and serious? Am I bloodthirsty? Am I going to take prisoners or torture people or do I, you know, do I have mercy? It's usually a sort of combat related on how they figure out the role plan. And a lot of people don't sit down and think, you know, is my guy an alcoholic? Uh, what's his favorite drink? Does he try to pretend he has more money than he does? So he'll buy really expensive alcohol at the tavern, but then he has to eat cat food at home because, you know, he doesn't have any money left over. 
And for me as a storyteller, those are the elements that I often find most interesting about a character. Because for me, combat's exciting in itself. I don't I don't need to add a whole lot to combat for my character. The fact, can I live, can I die, is you know pretty exciting. So again, I live in those moments. But I think you're right. In a, and one of the other things that I did is by asking the questions the way that I did, I asked Scott's character, well, what motivated you to go? So that told me about his character, because if he'd said it had to be a thousand gold pieces, well, then he's greedy. If I just needed the thrill of adventure, oh, okay, then he has a, you know an adventurous spirit. Once I had his answer, then you got to role play, well, how did you get to that point? Were you very direct and just said, hey, I got to go kill somebody. Will you come with me? Or were you really coy about it where you would you know buy him a drink and chat up his family and come in a roundabout way, get to what you're talking about? So both of those things, I, I learned a lot about both of your characters in a two-minute improv scene that had nothing really else to do with the story. I mean, it was literally over in two minutes, and I knew a lot about your characters by doing that. And then I did sort of the same thing with uh, Matt's character and Scott's character. Once once uh, Scott's character, Thydell, was recruited, then I had Thydell recruit uh, Matt's character, Ravage. And then I changed it up a little bit by having his character. I said, Matt, your character just said something that's going to get you all killed by the Lizard King. What'd you say? And that put him on the spot to come up with a vicious insult, which he thought, thought he did a pretty good job with. And then we immediately went into initiative for combat. So the stinger was paid off within five minutes, but I learned a lot about all your characters. And I feel like the intention was I put you all in the mindset that this is going to be an improv-heavy game. We have a lot of say-so in how things happen and what goes on and roll with it. You can honestly tell me if that worked or not, but I feel like that was the point. I feel like it went pretty well. Oh, no, I, I agree. It definitely put me into a different mindset than I brought to the table. Because in my experience with my group, we're usually more combat tactical related. And while we role play and interact with NPCs, it's not that it's secondary, but a lot of times that is the filler between big cinematic encounter moments. From my experience listening to the games you run, when I came to the table, I was preparing myself to mostly dig into you know deep story moments and really big plot elements, which while it's not different than my experience, it's not what I normally do. So my mindset was more big picture, and by throwing us that that quick little improv scene, it really focused it more on the moment on the little the little picture what was happening right then and you know it kind of corralled my uh, my ideas it brought me into the moment of what was happening as well as getting me used to my character very quickly so I think that was a very solid way to start the game and it definitely cast the right light on the the game that is to come I'm glad that it worked. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. So for anybody out there who is a new GM or experienced and you want to try something different, try that technique. Let us know if it works as well for you as it did for us. But if, if improv isn't your thing, because it's not for everyone, then I still think the way that you start, especially a new campaign, if not every session, you should try to set the tone and the theme of the game right off the bat. If you're a very tactically combat game, 
then I would probably start the game of the combat. You know, as soon as everybody sits down, like, all right, roll initiative, start a combat, and then we can work backwards to figure out why you're fighting, who you're fighting, and all that kind of cool stuff. But start off off the bat and make it a tactical battle. Make sure there are tactical elements in there. If you're a more story-focused DM, which I, I, I am, and in most of my other games, we start off with me going over like a five or ten minute, this is what you guys know, this is what you've done, this is where you're at, and this is why you're there. Again, for podcast listeners, a lot of time I cut that stuff out because it's not, I think it's more in- interesting for the listeners to kind of figure it out as it happens, but it would be almost be like a script read-through in some cases for a TV show. You know, they don't, they don't show you that. They start with where the script starts, but there's a lot of work that goes into the show before that. So whatever type of game you're trying to present for your players, improv-heavy, humorous, dark, a horror story, combat, tactics, story-based, start off your campaign if you can in your sessions if you can reinforcing that tone that theme or the or the mood of the setting Alrighty. so the last thing we wanted to talk about tonight today yeah i've said tonight 43 times now so this is the first <laughs> time i had to say this morning so, so the thing we want last thing we want to talk about this morning was uh the game that we got to play in this week with porter he's our dm for our fade deadlands game which i still am having so much fun playing that game and um if you remember, or if you're listening, the, the last episode, we had found somewhat of a solace. There was like this lone ranch house out in the kind of the prairie. We rescued some some younger boys from a monster, and one one of them died. One of them was hurt badly, and we brought the other the other one, the the well one and the hurt one, back to the ranch. And we we were somewhat reluctantly welcomed to the ranch and said, you know, come on in, you guys spend the night and help us tomorrow. And that's where we cut off the game. And and we even mentioned at the end of that game there was something not quite right about this family, about the situation. You know, we were a little bit jaded and suspicious. So when we picked up this game, we played out that scenario. We spent some time at the ranch and got to know more of the people there. And there was definitely a moment where we kind of knew how it was going to end. Like we were, we were pretty much 99.999% sure that we knew what was happening. But the, the part I want to talk about is that none of us as players broke character. We didn't change what we would do in the scene because of our player knowledge. We just stayed with it. And more importantly, I thought Porter did a great job is even though we were kind of talking above table about what we thought was going to happen is that he didn't just jump the gun and go, yep, you're right, and then move on. Like he, he kept the pace even, and it allowed there to be some tension. So even though we kind of knew it was coming, it was still a big moment when it happened. It's, the, it's that horror movie moment where you know the serial killer is behind the door, and you know that as soon as the teenager shuts the door, the serial killer is going to pop out and kill her. But it's still thrilling. It's still exciting, and it's still a little scary. At this point in our lives, we've played enough games, we've watched enough movies, we've read enough books, we're smart enough to get an idea from context when something is going to happen. And I think it speaks to the skill, in this example, of Porter when he... Even though he knew that we knew, he kept going. He didn't arbitrarily change it to be something different. Uh, He gave us that payoff. And it was still exciting. In the moment when the actual truth was revealed, I still reacted in shock 
the way he was expecting us to react. Even though we knew, it was still a great moment. And the, again, this will be a pretty short topic, but the thing that I'll give him credit for, and we're trying to be a little bit vague here because those episodes are going to come out soon, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but he still added one more twist that we did not see coming, which added stress and tension on top of what we were already anticipating this thing. When it finally happened, we were like, aha, and then it was like, oh, no. So, I mean, he, masterful performance, Porter, if you listen to this, I thought you did a fantastic job of running that game. But I guess the, the, the point that we're trying to, trying to make here in sort of the improv mindset is don't be afraid to go with it as a player that just because you think you're pretty sure you know who killed the Baron, especially now that he was stabbed and not poisoned and you, you noticed the guy earlier flipping the knives, don't just go, it was him, and then run over and try to stab him Stick with the story. What would your character actually do and and build that tension and build that moment so that when you do finally confront that, that situation, it has more weight and has more power? Exactly. And I think the lesson to learn here is that sometimes it's okay as a GM to stick to your guns, even if your players have already caught on to the facts. Like if you have a surprise moment or a murder mystery or a big reveal and you want it to be this big element that's really fun, if your players figure it out or predict it ahead of time, don't let that stop you from having your moment as well. One of my uh, favorite authors is Stephen King, and he is very well known to, for having done this, where like the last couple lines of a chapter will be, but of course he was dead the next day. And you're like, what? You know, this guy, you now know that the guy's dead the next day, so you have to turn the page, and then obviously it doesn't start with, and he died. It starts with that morning. And the whole day, this character is going through his day, and he's fixing breakfast and talking to his kids. And his car. you keep thinking, well, what's going to kill him? Well, what's going to kill him? What's going to kill him? And it actually adds to the tension knowing what the end result is going to be. So it's, it's not the end of the world if your players figure out that the king is secretly controlled by the vizier. The tension is, well... How is it happening? How do we prevent it? How bad is it going to get before we can stop it? So don't don't let someone kind of offhandedly calling out. Now I'm sure the king is you know mind screwed by the by the advisor. Okay, that didn't ruin your story. That might have just helped. Um, the anticipation of something happening is as important as the thing happening. Like let's just go back to the the horror movie example. The anticipation that uh, the, the teenager walking through the abandoned school is going to get attacked is just as important as the scene when the teenager gets attacked. We've been conditioned through the media to expect that and to anticipate that and to roll with it. Foreshadowing is a really important creative tool. And whether it's foreshadowing that you, as the GM, give out, or it's foreshadowing that the players give themselves by figuring out something and running with that idea, however you get it, it's equally important, and it's equally uh, valid in the creative process and in the gaming experience. And I guess my, the last thing I would think is kind of a throwback uh, to our earlier topics about if a player comes up with a great idea for why something happens and, and you want to make them feel rewarded by saying, yeah, that is what happens, you can kind of do the opposite here. If someone says, 
oh, I'm sure they're they're actually secretly vampires. You're like, okay, well, crap. Well, they can't be vampires now. I got to change it. You know, in some way, you're robbing that player of the reward of being right for no other reason than you just don't want them to ruin your your cool twist. I think the player feeling rewarded for being right is worth more than the twist you would get by revealing, aha, they're vampires. There are obviously exceptions to every rule, and there are games I've ran where there was a big twist, you know, the he was dead the whole time situation, where if that's revealed, it, it could hurt the story. But mostly you play D&D games or role-playing games one night at a time, at your table or over the internet. Those three or four hours need to be fun every time. You don't want to play through 20 hours of decent games and then get to a great game at the end i'd say you'd be better off running you know 20 really good games and then if the ending's only still really good but not super good i think you came out ahead yeah yeah i'll agree with you very cool was there anything else we want to uh cover on these topics for the day because we're getting close to our hour uh no i think we've hit everything really well uh we've gone over good ways to foster a spirit of improv at the table. Uh, we've gone over uh, some good advice for uh, GMs on how to improv and ways to think on their feet, maybe correct a mistake or just improve a situation. Um, and I think we touched on a really good real-world example from our Faye game on how to play along with the story, and still maintain that level of excitement even in a predictable situation from both the player side and the GM side. podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on itunes if you have a suggestion for a topic we'd love to hear it email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com and you can connect with us on twitter at dnd underscore academy as always thanks for listening and remember if you're having fun you're doing it right